So let me just start out by asking you a question. Need some audience participation here, so raise your hand if, if it applies to you. How many of you would like to become a more loving person? I'm not saying you're not one. I'm saying, how would you like to become a more loving person? Raise your hand. Yeah, most of you do. Those of you that don't, I'm a little worried. Um, it's true, though. Wouldn't it be great if we could somehow become even more loving than what we currently are? And can you imagine what our congregation would be like, what Appleton would be like, what our country or the world would be like if everyone would just start showing a little bit more love, if, if everybody had a greater capacity to love, if everybody would love more than what we currently love, wouldn't it just be a much better place to live? That's exactly what I want to talk to you about today is this, wanted more love and lots of it. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. We all want more love and we would love to have more of that love right? Wouldn't that be great? So that's what I want to talk about today. And we could talk about ways to leverage the love that we have in better ways. That would be a legitimate discussion to have. Um, you've got this much love. How can I use it better to love the people around me? Uh, maybe we could make a blog post. Seven ways to lo love people better. And we could come up with, with different ways, kind of like with, with, with a car, uh, you've got a set gas tank size, a set engine size, but if you drive in a different way, you can get more mileage out of it, more miles for that tank of gas. And, and we could talk about that with love as well. How do you get more distance out of the love that you currently have? Or, or if you want to use the budgeting analogy, I've got this set income. How can I use it more efficiently to, to pay my bills and get, get more out of the money I have? We could talk that, about that in relation to love. How do we get more love out of the way we currently love? But that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to address with you is how to increase the capacity of love. I currently have this much love to give. This is how much love I've got but how can I get that much? That's what I want to talk about. And is that even possible? Can, you, can we actually increase our capacity to love? Jesus would say yes. And that's what we want to look at today. Um, as we look at Jesus' love, we're going to also see how our capacity to love also increases. So we're going to take a look at this um, in Luke's Gospel. Now, we've been going through Luke's Gospel. We're going to take a look at chapter 7. Got a lot of verses to go through today, starting at verse 36. Um, I've also got a lot of comments to make along the way so we understand and can unpack what Jesus is trying to teach us here. So starting at verse 36, it says, when one, of the Pharisees, uh, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, so this is kind of setting the stage for what's about to happen. A Pharisee invites Jesus to a dinner party, um, and we find out that the, the Pharisee's name is Simon. We're about to hear his name in just a little bit. And it says that Jesus went to his house for this dinner party, and Jesus was reclining at the table, which I need to pause and explain that. Otherwise, what's about to happen is not going to make sense. So we think, okay, you go to somebody's house for dinner, you sit behind a table, and everybody talks and you eat, and, and that's how a dinner looks, but not in Jesus' day. When there was a dinner party, it looked like this. First of all, the table was low to the ground, and there was usually a mat or a couch that was brought up to the table with a, with a pillow or a cushion on it, 
and you would actually kind of lean with your feet laying out, literally laying down uh, with, your, with the table here, your feet behind you, and then there'd be another person with his head there, his feet behind, and everybody laid out behind the table that way. That's what it meant that Jesus was reclined at the table so that you have this visual image because it's important to what's about to come next. Verse 37, a woman in that town lived a, who, who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, so we're introduced to a new character in the story now, and it was a, a sinful woman. And we don't know what her name is. It, it never appears in this story. We don't know her name. We just know her character. She was a known sinner. Whatever she did, it was publicly known. Everybody knew about it which usually means it was probably something sexual in nature, like maybe prostitution. Or maybe she had committed adultery on her husband and the rumors all got around. Everybody knows what she did. But her reputation preceded her. That's the sinful woman. I don't remember her name, but that's the sinful woman. That's who we are introduced to next here. So it says that um, she, she came in there and was, she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. We're going to see how that plays in in just a moment. And then we find out that she does something odd. As she stood behind him at his feet, now again, imagine this table over there, Jesus reclining, so his feet are here. She is standing at his feet now. As she's standing at his feet, um, by the way, what is she even doing there? <laughs> Uh, that, why didn't security stop her? What is she doing in this stranger's house? So one more thing you have to understand culturally, and that is that in those days, it was common that when there was a public, there, when there was a dinner party like this, it was somewhat of a public event. Now, not everybody could go eat, obviously. That was just for the invited guests. But to party, and let's listen to the conversation they're going to have. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good night out. Let's do that. Um, so that's what was happening here. That's why she wasn't stopped, because anybody could enter a house under those circumstances. So she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. This part was weird. <laughs> uh, this was not normal and people would have been looking for sure. So standing at the feet of Jesus, she starts crying, weeping. And what we're going to find out as we keep reading is that she's weeping not out of sorrow, but out of joy. She's so thankful. She's so happy. She's so grateful to Jesus. The tears are just pouring down her face, so much so they're dripping onto the feet of Jesus, making his feet wet. So she bends down, takes her hair down, doesn't have a towel, wipes off his dirty feet with her hair, kisses his feet, doesn't stop there, breaks open this jar of perfume, pours it on Jesus' feet, and can you imagine this smell going out into the room, that, the, the perfume smell, filling the whole room. Everybody at this time, there's just a hush over the crowd, I'm sure. Everybody is watching this woman like, this is a little, this is weird, this is odd. What is she doing? Why is she doing this? It was definitely caught, uh, drawing people's attention. So, all of that to show deep love and reverence to Jesus. 39, verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, important point, he didn't say this out loud, but he's thinking it, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that, that she is a sinner. So we already see the heart of, of the Pharisee, the heart of Simon there, right? He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't believe in Jesus. And he's, he's, he's invited Jesus over, but apparently just to try to trap him, just to try to figure out uh, what kind of charlatan he is, and now he's already got his proof. Here is this woman doing this to him, he obviously doesn't know her reputation or he would have nothing to do with her. All right, it's settled. He's not a prophet. He's not from God. I knew it. Now I know. All of that's going on in his head, not out loud. Jesus answered him because Jesus heard his thoughts. Jesus knew what he was thinking. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And now Jesus tells a parable, a little story that relates exactly to what I wanted to talk to you about today, increasing capacity of love. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, whenever we hear figures and denominations like that that we've never heard of, we always wonder, well, what is that in today's money? It's a little bit hard to make conversions like that, but somewhere it said that a denarius was about a day's wages for a common worker. Uh, A common day's wages was one denarius. So if we just say, what's a day's wages today? Can we just use $100 as a really round number so I can do simple pastor math? And 100, uh, 500 denarii then would be about $50,000 is what one man owed the money lender. Uh, and then 50 denarii would be more like $5,000 that the other man owed the money lender. 50,000 compared to 5,000, about 10 times more. Um, and and then the money lender says, you owe me money. The man with 5,000 says, I'm sorry, I don't have it. And the money lender says, it's all right, you don't have to pay it. Debt forgiven. The man with 50,000, he says, you owe me money. Where, where's my money? I, I don't have 50,000, I can't pay you. It's all right, debt forgiven, you don't have to pay me. Same scenario, both men forgiven, neither has to pay a, a single denarius back, total debt forgiven. Um, and then... Jesus says this, neither of them had the money, so he forgave the debts of both, and Jesus asked this question, now, which of them will love the money lender more? This is a question to the Pharisee. One was forgiven 500, 150, which is going to love the money lender more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I think Simon was on high alert at this point. He didn't want to just flat out answer, is this a trick question? You, you're trying to trap me in something, Jesus? Because I've been trying to trap you. And, and so he says, well, I suppose. It kind of makes sense. The one who had a bigger debt forgiven is going to love more. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. So did, did you catch the question? Which of them will love him more? Which one will have the greater capacity to love? Isn't that the question that I wanted to answer with you today that I posed at the very beginning? Which will have the greater capacity? And Simon said, well, it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And that leads us to the point of Jesus' parable, the point that I want you to remember today, and it's simply this. When it comes to love, you give what you've gotten. Pretty simple point, right? When it comes to love, you you will give what you have first gotten. 
Remember from 1 John chapter 4 earlier, we love because he first loved us. If you haven't received love, if you haven't gotten love, if you haven't perceived love, if you haven't experienced love, you're not going to give love. You have to have gotten it before you will give it. When it comes to love, you will give what you have gotten. And that's what Jesus taught the Pharisee named Simon. So he then applies the story to Simon in this situation that was happening, and Jesus will apply this to us today as well. So verse 44 says, Now he turned toward the woman, and he said, he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I, I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you did not put oil on my head, but this woman, she has poured perfume on my feet. So Jesus takes his story now and he, he applies it to what he's experienced that day. Simon, you invited me for dinner, so I won't say you have no love, although his motives maybe mean he didn't, but your love has been like this. And her love has been like that. And if you had asked anybody ahead of time, okay, there's going to be a Pharisee and there's going to be a sinful woman, who do you think loves more? Everyone would say, oh, the Pharisee. Pharisees are such good people. But not, not in this case. This, Simon had hardly any love. The woman had great love. It was common courtesy in those days when somebody came to your house as a guest that you would, if you had a servant, a servant would wash the people's feet as they entered. The roads were dirty and grimy, feet stink, and you're in a dinner party and lots of feet in an enclosed room. Good to have everybody's feet clean. Simon did not, not only did he not wash Jesus' feet or have a servant wash Jesus' feet, he didn't even provide water so that Jesus could wash his own feet. He was rude to Jesus. He showed no love. Simon did not greet Jesus with a kiss. That was a very common, normal greeting of that day. Anybody that you loved or honored or even just respected, you would greet with a kiss. That's why Judas could betray Jesus with a kiss. The one that I kiss is the one you should arrest. He won't suspect a thing. That's the way we would always greet each other is with a kiss. Simon did not greet Jesus with a kiss. Imagine somebody came into your house, somebody that, that you, somebody respectful in society that people are talking about. They come into your house and you don't even shake their hand. What a diss that would be, you know, how, how disrespectful, right? And Simon did not provide any oil for Jesus' head. That was, again, a common way of refreshing somebody. It sounds a little bit gross to us, but putting oil on somebody's head was a very common uh, gesture to show respect and honor to a guest in your house. Simon did not do that. The, hardly any love, zero love. In contrast, the woman, she comes in. She wets Jesus' feet with her tears, wipes off Jesus' feet with her hair. She kisses Jesus' feet because she respects him and loves him so much. And she pours perfume not on his head, but on his feet, all because of her enormous love for Jesus. Now, why was this sinful woman's capacity to love so much greater than Simon's capacity to love? There was no comparison. Why was there such a difference? Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
Now, this woman did not come and get her sins forgiven at that moment. They were already forgiven. She already knew that because, how do we know? Because she was already showing the acts of love. Jesus was confirming that her sins were indeed forgiven, not forgiving them for the first time. Simon, in contrast, did not think he had sins that needed forgiving. Simon, do you appreciate God's love? You mean, does God appreciate mine? Is that what you're asking? Simon, are you happy that your sins are forgiven? What sins? I'm a Pharisee. I give a tenth of all I have. I'm a good man. I help people. I study the Bible all the time. Did you know that? Sins forgiven? You must be talking about somebody else because I don't need that. Simon didn't recognize his need for forgiveness and therefore he didn't experience or appreciate the love of God or the forgiveness of God. And in contrast, the woman did. So, verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Again, reaffirming what she already knew, your sins, he wanted everybody to hear it, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They're thinking, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is thinking, yep, now you're getting it. Jesus is God. He forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She had gotten great love from Jesus, and so she had love to give. So, how can our capacity for love increase likewise? Well, it's no no secret formula here. It's the same way. If we want our capacity to love to grow, how does that happen? Two things. First one is this. See sin's size. The Pharisee did not, and I pray that you will. First of all, we have to see sin's size and have some kind of emotional response to that. We can't talk about sin indifferently. Like, eh, yeah, yeah, I sin. You say, everybody sins. You ever hear somebody say that? Everybody sins. Like, it's no big deal. No, it is. We need to see sin's size. It is a big deal and have an emotional response like, good grief. This is a problem. Sin is a problem. Sin is such a big problem. Sin is so big for two reasons. The first reason is because of who sin is against. It matters who you do wrong to, not just the wrong you do. Does that make sense? It matters who you do wrong to, not just the wrong you do. Let me give an illustration from our lives because it matters in our society too. If you would get in an argument with somebody and things get a little bit heated and maybe you throw a punch and you don't really hurt the person and they don't really hurt you, but the police are called, what you'll probably get is a misdemeanor at worst or the charges might be dismissed. If you do that exact same thing to an on-duty police officer, it's not, it's not going to turn out the same. It's a class one felony and you will probably do time. It matters who you sin against. Here's another example. Back in 2008, uh, George W. Bush was giving a a, a speech to the Iraqi press, and there was a man in the crowd, an Iraqi man, who did not like George Bush very much. And during the speech, he took off his shoe and chucked it at the president, and, and Bush got out of the way. It didn't hit him, but I looked this up. The man was arrested, 
and sentenced to three years in prison. And he did nine months of that, of that prison sentence. In contrast, if you right now aren't enjoying this sermon all that much and you decide to chuck your, your shoe at me and I duck out of the way and you miss, please don't do that. Um, you're probably, nothing's going to happen, honestly, right? Nobody's going to call the police. We'll, we'll chuckle about it and somebody might escort you out. <laughs> um, but, but you're not going to serve a nine-month prison sentence, for sure. It matters who you sin against. So keeping that in mind, who is sin against? Yes, you, you offend your wife sometimes. Yes, you sin against your children or your boss or your neighbor. You get in a little fight with your neighbor. You, you're angry at the person driving down the street. You're sinning against other people frequently. But know this, that every sin is also a sin against God. That every time we commit a sin against somebody else, we're also saying to God, I will not listen to you. I will do things my way. I know you don't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's, it's treason in God's kingdom. It's treason against the king. It matters. It's big. Every sin, one of them, is huge and is worthy to condemn us before God. In James chapter 2, verse 10, there's a verse that says, Forever, whoever keeps the whole law of God, if you can imagine, you could keep the whole law of God and yet you stumble in just one point. It says that person is guilty of breaking all of it. But, but I, just, I just sinned one time, God. Yep, you're not perfect anymore. You committed treason against the king. You are no longer worthy to be in my presence. That would be enough to condemn us if there was one sin. Except there's not just one. How many times have we sinned in the last 24 hours? Just think of, it's described as a rock that causes you to stumble. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You make a gesture, not overly loving, also offensive to God. There's a rock that caused you to stumble. God said, I love to hear from you when you pray. And, and if you'd listen to me and my word, daily would be great. Yeah, hasn't been happening. There's another rock. You say something that maybe needed to be said, but you said it really rudely. Didn't need to be said, said like that. There's another rock. Things are getting stressful. You're feeling really anxious about fill in the blank. There's 100,000 ways you could be feeling stressed and anxious about something. You're essentially saying, God, I don't trust you in this situation. God, I don't think you're going to take care of this. I'm really worried about it. I'm stressed out. There's another rock. And if we would just look at the last 24 hours, do you think we'd get a pile of rocks here? And if we would multiply that times a lifetime, I, I figured this out. If, if there were 10 sins a day, which that's way low, it's got to be more than that. 10 sins a day, though, times multiplied by a lifetime, however many days a uh, 70 to 80-year-old will live, you get well over a quarter million rocks. How, how much of this room would be filled with a quarter million rocks that are our sins? Do you see sin size? Good grief. This is a problem. Every one of them offensive. Every one of them an act of treason against our God. This, the woman that we heard about, the sinful woman, she understood the size of her sin. Simon did not. Where do you land? Do you see sin size? If so, don't stop there. There's a second thing you need to see, and it's this. Look at the Lord's love. Look at the Lord's love. Sweet relief. God's love for us 
is truly amazing. That sinful woman understood it. She believed it. She trusted. Jesus knows me. Jesus loves me. Jesus has forgiven me. She looked at the Lord's love and she felt sweet relief that moved her to tears and extraordinary actions of love for Jesus. Do you know the Lord's love? Do you look at it daily? This is why I love this season of the church here that we call Lent. It's a time for us to gather an extra time during the week on Wednesdays. And if you haven't been, I hope you will join us because it's an opportunity for us to look at the Lord's love with fresh eyes yet again. To, to follow Jesus in that last week of his life as he, as he was betrayed by, by one of his own, later denied by one of his own, abandoned by all of his disciples. He was falsely accused. He was, he was sentenced to death after being scourged with an inch of his life. He's nailed to a cross. The Father forsakes him. This is the size, the extent of God's love for you. God didn't sit up in heaven and say, rocks, 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 rocks. Eh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not okay. He does worry about it. He's, he's very upset about our sin but his love is even greater. Love that moved him to give his very son. Remember, we read about that in 1 John 4 as well. He gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. For our sins and for the sins of the whole world. Your quarter million. Multiplied by billions, Jesus went to the cross and he took full responsibility and he paid for your sins, my sins, and the sins of the world through his death on the cross. Because that's how great his love is for you. Look at the Lord's love. Sweet relief. That woman heard some amazing words from Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And Jesus says the same thing to you today also. That mountain of sin you just felt, that great burden, that enormous pile, your sins are forgiven. Your faith in Jesus, you rest on him, that saved you. Wait, did you feel that? There was, there was your capacity to love when you, just, when you came in. It just grew. You're leaving today with a greater capacity to love because, because when it comes to love, you give what you've gotten. You just got a whole bunch. My prayer for you is that every day you will go back to the cross and you will, you will remember sin size. You will confess that to your God. Be specific sometimes. That's good. Confess your sin to God and then remember daily what Jesus did for you at the cross Enjoy that sweet relief, and every day, your capacity to love is going to grow and grow and grow. Truth is, we love, but only because he first loved us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. You should have cast us away forever, had nothing to do with us. You could have been disgusted by us turned your face from us, and instead you did the exact opposite. You drew near, so near. You sent your, your very one and only son, true God in human flesh, to live among us. You couldn't have drawn nearer. He lived in this broken world. He lived for us a perfect life. He died on a cross to take away the guilt of our sin, all because of your love, 
you forgive us. Sweet relief. Lord, help us to know this, appreciate this, celebrate this, be filled with emotion because of it, maybe even move to tears like that woman, and to live a life of love in gratitude and thanks for the amazing, enormous love that you showed to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.